Morning, church. I have the privilege of reading God's word to us this morning and I'm going to start with Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And the second reading is from Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 36 to 40. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Thanks so much, John. And uh, it's great to be back here with you looking at God's Word together. It was Master Ugwe in Kung Fu Panda who said to Poe the Dragon Warrior, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That is why we call it the present. And today, as we look at a Christmas carol, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future, Christmas present is where we are. Actually, Master Ugwe uh, took that quote from Bill Keane, from his uh, Family Circus comic, um, published back in 1984. We got a little picture of the original there for you. And I'm going to adapt it slightly and to say, today is a gift. It is a gift of God. 
That is why we call it the present. And the big idea for us today, as we look at these scriptures together, is this. God dwells among us. God dwells among us. Firstly, I'm going to look at God dwells in the temple, and we'll look at Psalm 84. Then God dwells in His Son, and we'll look at Luke 2. And then we'll look at some other scriptures as we think about God dwells in His people. But uh, it's God's Word, so let me lead us in prayer as we ask God to be our teacher. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the one from whom your Spirit proceeds, we trust your promises and rejoice in your promises that are given to us and fulfilled in Jesus, who is the same past, present, and future. How we pray that by your grace, you would refresh us in understanding what it means to dwell with you, to desire you, to draw near to you, and to have you dwell in us. Father, thank you that we are at home with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that in being refreshed, we would seek to refresh others in these truths that hold redemption forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first uh, thought for today is God dwells in His temple. Uh, You may or may not know this song, but Jonah Louie had a one-hit wonder in 1980 called Stop the Cavalry. Anybody heard the song? Oh, one or two. Um, It was actually an anti-war song at the time, but it became a very familiar song at Christmas time in England and got played every single year, year out uh, and year in. And in case you didn't know it, it goes... Wish I was at home for Christmas. Ring a bell? Oh, it's extraordinary. Go and look, Jonah Louie, stop the cavalry, change your life. For me, it became all the more poignant, of course, when I came over to Australia in 1999 and then had this song and heard it and thought to myself, well, there you go, I'm not at home for Christmas, or am I? And what does it even mean to be at home? What does it mean to be dwelling and for God to dwell? Because at Christmas we celebrate the incarnation of God, the Son of God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, coming from eternity and into the realm of creation, such that He became fully human. And the angels declared Him to be Emmanuel, or God with us. And when we sing, hark the herald angels sing, we sing, pleased as man with man to dwell. And Psalm 84 celebrates and delights in the dwelling place of God. And Psalm 84 celebrates and delights in being in the dwelling place of God. And this psalm helps us to know and desire that intimacy with God Himself and the effect that that has had on people then and people now and will have in the future. And yes, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, fulfills the promises of Psalm 84. But today, I don't want us to jump ahead that quickly. Because God's promised Messiah has, in people throughout history, created that yearning, that desire for God. Because every human soul yearns for intimacy with God. 
to dwell safely with him. Because ever since Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree of life, there's been a desire in humanity to rekindle that connection. It's imprinted it in those of us who are made in the image of God. And Psalm 84, what is that describing? Where is God dwelling? Well, he's dwelling in his temple, in Mount Zion. Because God promised to journey with his people from the beginning whilst they were in Egypt. They called out to him. He was there. He delivered them through the Exodus. He was with them as they came to the promised land. And he led them to wrestle with nations and settle. And he gave them judges and he gave them priests and prophets and kings until his presence rested and settled with them in the temple. And so the temple was the place to which God's people went with a desire to have intimacy with God. And so in Psalm 84, verse 1, as we read it, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. It's because God was there. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, for the psalmist. He longs to be with Adonai Elohim. God's presence in Zion, to be with God, to dwell with Him. His longing to know God. In fact, the psalmist has a kooky little bit in verses 3 to 4 where he starts to get jealous of the little birds who make their nests in the little crevices between the stones of the temple where he says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself and her young. They have a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house for they are ever praising you. And he commends those who make that ascent to the temple year in, year out. A pilgrimage. Blessed are the ones, verse 5, whose strength is in you, their hearts set on pilgrimage. And they made a very long journey through Bakar and past the pools and the springs, from water point to water point, strength to strength, because as their bodies fade on that long, laborious journey, they are faithfully drawing closer to God with each step. And I find that there's an inspirational kind of ruggedness to that pilgrimage. I think we've lost the sense of pilgrimage today, in a way making a journey to be drawing closer to God with others. There's a community sense in this psalm, but that shifts in verse 8. It moves from the sense of community to an individual where the psalmist says, Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. And I think very clearly that we have a line of sight to Jesus Messiah. Shane showed us last week how God had had in history many anointed ones, his chosen ones, anointed by his Spirit throughout the history of Israel. The psalmist speaks with God's Spirit about the one who would be God's Son. But just before we go jumping to Jesus Messiah, I wonder whether we might spare a thought this week for our Jewish friends and neighbors, because today begins the Festival of Lights, the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah. And that is a celebration of the rededication of the temple. For years, the people of God went to the temple to draw near to God, and then during that strange season where the voice of God through his prophets seemed to dip, 
there was a season in which there was a massive Hellenization of the land and Antiochus Epiphanes came running through in around 165 BC and such a violent man was he that he desecrated the temple. He set up pigs on the altar and he removed all vestiges of testimony to Adonai Elohim, Yahweh, and instead desecrating the temple and destroying it, there was a revolution led by Judas Maccabeus who took the people of God and they reclaimed the temple and they rededicated it and there was this miracle where the lampstand, the menorah, had not enough oil to keep it lit and somehow the oil lasted for eight full days, which in fact takes us to Christmas Day for the celebrations today. I wonder whether we might spare a thought and a prayer for our Jewish friends and neighbours that they might see that the dwelling place of God is no longer the temple because Jesus came into the world. This is my second point, that the favour that God brings is in dwelling in his Son. Now these words relate both to the people of God in Psalm 84, uh, in God's temple in history, they look forward to Messiah, and then we read these words in verse 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. God's people knew he dwelt in his temple. They drew near God's home, but he planned to draw closer to them than they had ever possibly imagined. And God's favor is now found in faith in Jesus Messiah. And that is utterly transformative. A little personal word here as I read verse 10 and see these words. It reminds me that I spent nearly 30 years of my life apart from God. I can testify that all that the world has to offer is very entertaining. But it's not very satisfying. When I met the person of the Lord Jesus on the pages of the Scriptures, when I met the person of the Lord Jesus through the power of His Spirit at work in me, there was something utterly transformative in terms of knowing what it means to be close to God through relationship with Him, such that I can say, I'd rather be a toilet cleaner in God's house than king of any earthly dunghill. The Lord God is sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And to walk blamelessly then was to walk in faith, trusting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of mighty King David. Now, Messiah has come in Jesus. And to walk blamelessly is to have faith in Him. God dwells in His Son. And Anna in chapter 2 is a wonderful embodiment, I think, of Psalm 84. We're told about Anna, verse 36, that she was a prophetess. She was the daughter of Penuel, uh, sorry, Penuel of Asher's tribe, and she was very old. This lady was either 84 years of age or she'd been a widow for 84 years. Either way, she was not a spring chicken. But she was at home in the dwelling place of the temple of God. She was, some say she was a bit like a nun, but she was married. Um, she had spent her time after marriage dedicated to the service of God in the temple. 
And she never, verse 37, left the temple. She was worshipping night and day, fasting and praying. And we read a little bit earlier in the account in Luke chapter 2 of how Mary, Jesus' mother, and Joseph brought the boy Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, as was right and according to the law of Exodus 13, fulfilling the law concerning every Jewish firstborn. And Anna received this little infant boy into the temple. For 84 years she'd been praising God and in meeting the infant Jesus, coming up to them at that very moment, verse 38, she gave thanks to God because she recognized him instantly. No doubt by the power of the Spirit as God's anointed one, she testified. She then spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What does meeting Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, mean for Anna here? A transformation a change. Anna responds by announcing redemption to those who hoped for him. She knew that in Jesus Messiah, the Son of God, there was lasting hope, fulfilling the promises of God, a hope for Israel, a hope for the nations, that, that, that there might be a making right with God. She recognized Messiah in this boy, and she could not hold it back. She told everyone about him. Her dwelling in the temple of God to encounter the intimate presence of God gave way to her recognition of Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And her time of fasting and praying changes to become a time of thanksgiving and a time for evangelism. And I think there's a lesson for us in here. There's times for fasting and praying, and these indeed underpin thanksgiving and evangelism, and to be able to this season share the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus is an amazing opportunity to invite our friends and family to come to our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services, to have those gentle and engaging conversations, perhaps to take the initiative for some faith conversations with friends and neighbours. There's three wonderful women in our street who've organised for a street party this week to invite members of the community to come together and enjoy some time as a community during this Christmas season, but also to testify to Jesus as the reason for the season. Maybe that's an idea for you. Receiving God's gift of grace and words and witness to the Lord Jesus, Anna speaks with confidence in recognizing her Messiah. May we have the confidence of Anna to give thanks and to speak to all who would listen, to share that redeeming hope. Now, of course, Jesus, the baby, didn't stay a baby boy. He grew up. We read this in verse 40. Uh, the child grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And this one who would grow would lay down his life for his people. And this one who laid down his life for the forgiveness of sins would be raised to new life and life eternal. And that one would ascend, and that Jesus is now ruling on high. And so it is that today, thirdly and finally, God dwells in his people. God dwelt in the temple in the past. He was incarnate and dwelt in his Son. As we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And today, God dwells in his people, the Spirit of our Father and of Jesus in us. 
Did you know that you are God's dwelling place? His Spirit is in us. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that His Spirit dwells in you? You see, we thought earlier about what it means to be at home. Where is home? I've lived in England, I've lived in Sydney, we very nearly lived in Indonesia, and now we live in the Illawarra. Where is home for our family? Well, to be at home is to be with the Lord Jesus. He is our dwelling. We are in Christ. And His Spirit is dwelling in us. He is in us. And so to be at home at Christmas is to have confident hope and joy in Jesus. That's who we are. And so, I want us to think about the so what at this point. What does this mean for us now here in Christmas present? Well, we alluded to the fact that the theme for this series is A Christmas Carol. And um, has anybody actually read the book? I know a few of us have seen the movie. Oh, good on you, Helen. Anybody else read the book? Dickens is a fine author. He's, he, you've got to take your time. Oh, good on you. There you go. That's a, that's a recommendation if ever I heard one. You see, the, the book was written way back in 1843 um, by Charles Dickens. Can I give you a quick synopsis? There's a picture here, illustration from the original. Um, it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, and I quote, he's described by Dickens as being, I quote, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. It's a good setup, isn't it? <laughs> Now, the story opens on a bleak Christmas, snowy Christmas Eve in London. And it's some years after the death of Scrooge's business partner, Jacob Marley. And Scrooge is wealthy, and he hates Christmas. And he refuses a dinner invitation from his nephew. And he refuses to make a donation for the poor. And he only reluctantly allows his overworked, underpaid clerk, Bob Cratchit, to spend Christmas Day with his family. But that night, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, held down by chains and boxes full of money. And he says... You've only got one chance with your own selfishness and greed. You will be visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And Scrooge is. And the first ghost, the ghost of Christmas past, takes Scrooge to Christmas scenes from his lonely childhood at a boarding school to his lovely family times where he was loved up by his dear sister to the kind employer who showed him kindness, his loving fiance. But in all of this, the only thing that captured Scrooge's heart was the love of money. And his attitude towards Christmas was, you know it, don't you? What was it? Bah! Humbug! Everybody has a very low opinion of him, he discovers, on the journey with the ghost. Next, the ghost of Christmas present comes and takes Scrooge to a bustling market where everyone is preparing for their Christmas feasts. And he takes him into um, a number of Christmas uh, uh, dinners, experiences, and, and particularly takes him in to see Bob Cratchit's family, having a, a, a meager but a lovely family time. And it turns out that his little boy, Tiny Tim, is very unwell. And Scrooge has the opportunity to intervene. And Scrooge begins to see that he could make a difference. And I'm not going to give the game away, because next week we'll look at the ghost of Christmas future. No spoilers. But what struck me afresh this week is that Dickens wrote The Christmas Carol during a period in which the British community had found themselves thoroughly detached 
from Jesus as the reason for the season. The biblical values of family gatherings and generosity of spirit and the recognition of Jesus had been eroded during the mid-Victorian times, and the community found themselves in need of the message of Christmas, which is why Dickens wrote. Now, I think his book today is just as pertinent and relevant for our community, don't you? We're coming out of COVID. We're going into Christmas. I know there's another surge of infections. But I think we're in a time of similar review for our social values. And I think the massive attendance that we had at the Fig Tree Community Christmas Carols testifies to this. Did you know that a third were church families, a third were community, and a third were first-timers? I really want to thank you all for volunteering and participating in the carols. In fact, I'm not going to give you my words. Let me give you the words of somebody who's been in touch with us to give us a commendation. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but if you go on our website, the um, Facebook website, you'll see who put this up. Only because of the live stream, right? But you can all check this out. But this is somebody who's seasoned in this space. These are his words about the carols. I quote, congratulations on your wonderful Fig Tree Community Carols event held last Saturday. I would have to say it is the best Christ-centered, community-based, family-friendly, fun, creative, loving, caring Christmas carols I have, capitals, ever attended. As a gospel musician, producer, and Christian event organizer for almost five decades, I believe I am well able to comment. Fig Tree Community Carols was a truly outstanding success let me list the reasons. This is helpful. One, the setting and location is brilliant. Two, the design of the layout with stage at front with rides and food at the back and the sides is brilliant. The inclusion of them the same. Three, the quality of the artists, the choice of performers and the overall program presentation is outstanding. Four, the food provided by the church was cheap and tasty, an elusive combination. Did I say serve with love and a smile? Such a rare experience these days. Five, the sound system and the audio mixing were very good. The actual sound mix was exceptional. He does note you will need a larger system for stage speakers if the crowds keep going. Six, ICS Kids Choir were exceptional, as was Fig Tree Anglican Church Band. Full credit to Greg Bell and team. Seven, your volunteers were full of Christ-like love and tenderness. Eight, well attended with the community out in force in more ways than one. I think that's a little reference to the rural fire service and the police who were there along with us. Nine, you served your local community and created community all at the same time. Ten, best of all, Jesus was front and center in the most winsome way. The gospel was preached. I could go on and on, but suffice to say, as J.S. Bach used to write at the bottom of every piece of music, soli deo gloria, only for the glory of God. What a cause for thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. Anna was moved to thanksgiving and to testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that there's a little Scrooge in all of us at Christmas, but what a profound and beautiful counterpoint to know that we, by God's grace, have served our community and one another in that way. Cause for thanksgiving and celebration. Thank you so much. 
Let us not be captivated by the crass money and materialism that so often is associated with Christmas. May we, by His grace, continue to inspire others, being confidently transformed by the gospel of Jesus, knowing that the God who dwelt in His temple has dwelt in the person of His Savior and King Jesus and now dwells in us, that we might be His means of grace at a time where it is so needed. Let us pray it would be so. Pray with me, please. Our gracious God, we thank you that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is news for us today. As it has been the expectation of your people in history and will be the only means of grace into the future and for all eternity. Now in the present, your gift to us of yourself. May we be confident in testimony, asking friends and family to hear the good news of Jesus. May we spend your money this year for the good of others rather than for the good of ourselves. And may we take time, Father God, to visit family and friends and neighbors and even strangers that the God who dwells in us might graciously choose to dwell in them for all eternity. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Thank you.